You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 260. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Today is episode 260, welcoming for the first time this year, Aaron, back to the show. Aaron, welcome. You have reached your first local maximum of the year. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm resisting the temptation to groove out to the uh, the opening music there. Uh, yes, no, I, I uh, a lot of fans have, have told me that they noticed I was singing to the music in episode 259, and maybe I didn't realize that, or maybe I did, but uh, I don't know, maybe we'll have a lot more... It's- uh, Before we, we, we dive into yeah. today's content, uh, speaking of episode 259, yeah. um, you, you, you talked about you made some predictions and they, they seem to have come to fruition, maybe not in exactly the, the fashion that you thought they would, but yes. uh, you, you were debating, you know, you, you wanted some impartial Where input on how much credit you should get for that. Yes. Uh, so yes. Uh, as, as a impartial observer, I'm here to award you three internet points for that. Yes, uh, that, three that internet points. Yes. And how many internet points do I have? How, how, what's my total? Oh, I, I haven't been keeping track, and also they're not redeemable for anything of value. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're kind of yeah. Uh, the, they're not these even are like whose line is it anyway? Points. Yes. No. But but that's that's great. I, I appreciate it. Um, and we are going to make some predictions this week, so that we might be able to get more points. Because usually the end of year episode is is a look back, and and we are looking back a little, and that's how we're we're coloring our predictions um, because we looked back and we saw. You know, advances in self-driving cars, advances in generative AI, and so we're going to kind of try to look forward in, into that a little bit. But uh, now is our chance for us to invest in predictions and hopefully earn some internet points um, now into the future. So before we start, uh, a few little announcements, a few little things that I wanted to mention. Um, my academic paper, uh, do, I don't know if I get to call it an academic paper. It's, it's a lot tech paper. It's on Google, It's on archive. It's on Google Scholar. Um, it's on the idea of relative probability. It is out now. It is 30 pages. And I think like an average person, you don't have to be like a high level um, kind of math PhD to understand it. I mean, I don't understand a lot of stuff written by high level math PhDs, but I think it's, I think it's helpful. And I think it is, um, I think, as I said last time, it's on the idea of, you know, what if probability was a relative measure? What if you could only, what if you couldn't say something has an absolutely has a 50% chance of happening? What if you could only say, well, it's twice as likely or equally as likely as happening as this other thing? And so I kind of built a, a system around it. I sort of talk at some point in the paper about how you can like, you know, um, in, a, in a subsection on digital representation, how you can write code to like implement this actually in the real world. And I think... You know, while there are no like huge results in it, it's an interesting way to organize thoughts around probability. And I suspect that I will be using it um, in the future as kind of building blocks for other ideas. And I hope other people will do. So we'll, we'll, we'll do as well. So it's called Relative Probability on Finite Outcome Spaces. Um, it, you know, the abstract starts with this work proposes a view of probability as a relative measure rather than an absolute one. And the first sentence is... The foundations of probability theory are still very much open to explore. And I, the first uh, page is pretty cool. I talk about, you know, uh, uh, Komolgorov's axioms. Those are the standard axioms for um, for probability theory uh, that we um, that we actually touched on, on on this program. I think there was an episode called Axioms of Probability. Let me uh, 
let me make make sure I can confirm that. Yes, episode 245. Was that a solo? Probability. Yeah, it was a solo show. So um, I don't know how to integrate this into the show, but maybe uh, I feel like this wouldn't be good as a solo show to do the, the paper. I feel like it would be good to have someone interviewing me on the paper, so maybe you can do it or... If you don't want to do it, I get someone else to do it. But I hope you do it. So, uh, so, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, and and I think uh, it definitely counts as a, a, an academic paper. It is, in fact, released by uh, Local Maximum Labs, is it not? Yes. Um, yes. Local Maximum. Labs. And and if if you were on uh, on our locals, you would have gotten the uh, notification that that paper dropped uh, a few days ago. So for for. Uh, Early notification of things like that. Check out the locals. Absolutely, absolutely, and also further discussion of it. I really, I, I reread it. I spent a lot of time, like I do with these papers, making sure that they're easy to read and well organized. So hopefully, that some people it will help some people, and and people will get it. I, I never understand, like, okay, now I'm climbing up the ranks on Google Scholar. So isn't that nice? And I also got a citation, uh, my first citation, um, not on this paper, but on my last paper. Um, um, previously my, discussed on the show. Previously discussed on the show that I put out in March. It actually got a citation recently uh, from the paper that I just put out. So uh, that counts on uh, Google. <laughs> that counts on, on Google. I don't know if that's that's gaming it, but uh, it's. Uh, I I think if uh, if academics were not allowed to reference their own work, uh, they would be sorely lacking for things to reference. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I, I referenced a, a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, you know, I referenced uh, Tidesnay uh, Bradley, who's been on the show. Um, I, I, I try to reference people who actually have been on the show, and I reference people who, whose talks I've gone to and things like that. And so I, I don't, I, I, in addition to some of like the, 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 the central works. So that's, I feel like a kind of full-time academic researcher would be reading much more broadly and widely, but I kind of am happy with sort of that, that net that I've cast there. Um, so, all right, uh, before we get into our predictions, uh, I also want to point out I watched the Netflix show Ancient Apocalypse, and it's really interesting the kind of, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> my microphone is having some issues. All right, it's really interesting in terms of the, um, the, the discussion that is happening uh, with, with respect to this uh, online. Um, and now, this show is, is this a documentary or is it a series of episodes? It's a series of okay. episodes. It's each episode is a half hour and there are eight episodes. So it's really how many hours is that? Four hours. So it could almost be a very long movie. Yeah, it's, it um, sounds very bingeable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, uh, very, very bingeable. Um, I, I essentially watched it over the course of like a week. Um, um, because I would watch it like at night when I'm ready to fall asleep. It's very tame compared to the famous Ancient Aliens from uh, from from the History Channel, which I'm sure you're aware of because it it it, it has all the memes. It has the guy with the crazy hair going like, you know, the meme would be, I'm not sure the question that you just asked, but it's aliens, you know, and 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 everyone's seen that. I hope everyone's seen that. Uh, but this guy, Graham Hancock, he's gotten a much harsher response. You know, he more like the discredited racist pseudoscientist, and that's that's not something you would read. And I, I don't think he's racist from from watching the show, and also from what I've heard about it, his his life. Um, but uh, it, it, so it is kind of like you know, really, uh, he's been attacked by this quite a bit. And so, uh, and I don't want to like talk about 
you know, what basically he's just putting forth a hypothesis, like who cares? I would think like who cares, but people really, really care, which I find interesting. So I think we can have a really interesting discussion about online because it really gets into like epistemology and philosophy of science and also some frustrating discussion online. Like what is a good way to think about this? What is what is a good way to, to approach a kind of work like this? Is it okay to just watch it and be entertained or are you somehow bad for doing that? Uh, as yeah, some pop, people, pop, pop uh, science yeah. uh, has... has and and things like the History Channel are, are particularly uh, susceptible to this. That they they take a, you know an idea that might have some some reasonable backing to it, and then they go way off off base with it. Um, and and it's very entertaining, but not everybody views that type of content with the same caveat of I'm in entertainment mode now versus learning mode. And and I think they've gotten a lot of criticism for that type of thing in the past. For sure. for not uh, much much like for example uh, Fox News. Um, their news, uh, shows are, are actually pretty decent, but their commentary or, or entertainment products, uh, tend to veer very far from a, you know, just the facts, please, uh, approach. And, uh, I, I think one of the big criticisms is that they've not always made a clear distinction where, uh, one ends and the other begins. And, and so I, I think you kind of run into that that danger with something like this with, with pop sci or pop archeology span that uh, if, if you want to bring in the, 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 the crowds and, and get the public interested uh, it's very tempting to veer off into some of these maybe less supported ideas that are, that are nonetheless fun, fun to, to investigate and talk about. Right. Uh, also there were the, 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 the archeological sites that he goes to and, and explores are really fascinating and you know, those are really there and it's like, it's okay. So you definitely learn a lot about like what, you know what's what's in the terrain and and what types of things can be found in different countries like these underground cities in in Turkey and um, these, there's this kind of um, uh, you know there are these these mounds across uh, across uh, the Americas where you know he says oh he, you know it, it's said to have been built let's say. 2000 years ago and his hypothesis it was actually a reconstruction of something much older it's like okay fine like I don't he should be allowed to say that. I, I don't see what, I don't see what the uh, what the big deal is. But I feel like there is something else here that, um, I, and I feel like the reason why some people are upset are not the reason why they're saying they're upset. And so maybe I don't know if anyone out there wants to discuss this further. I'm sure we'll get some comments about it. But um, maybe you can watch it and, and let me. Yeah, know. I'll have to I, check it out. I, a, I think, a lot of that type of stuff can be real uh, conspiracy fuel too. Even if if that's yeah. not what is being laid out there that. Because uh, because conspiracy theorists are uh, very uh, susceptible, they are highly tuned for cherry picking, uh, and so if right. they see one little n- nugget that they think, oh, that supports this thing way over here, and they will take it and they will run with it, and they'll ignore anything else that that might be you know tangentially tied to it because it it, it serves a particular purpose for their their pet theory. Yeah, yeah, and and there and again. I read a bunch of articles online, both pro and, and, and against. And one of the pro articles also happened to link to um, the guy who, who who posited continental drift, which um, you know nowadays is is kind of plate tectonics, but it was a big difference from what they were saying a hundred years ago. It, it and is- the way he was treated also sounds very much like. You know, they treated him as like a pseudoscientist, as a, as a quack. And so that doesn't mean everyone is treated as a pseudoscientist, as a quack is, is right. But it's like, okay, what, you know, we have to teach people about the scientific method. And t- if you if you are worried that, oh, this um, this show is is 
is, is making people anti-science and anti-intellectual. Why don't you teach people about the scientific method and how to apply it rather than shouting, you know, you're a horrible person if you look over here. Because uh, then you kind of sound bad. Yeah, on, on the plate tectonics thing, it, it blew my mind because we are of the generation that grew up with that is just science. That is, right. that is the accepted, you know, the, the, the consensus, if you will. Uh, but when I learned that how recent in, in the past, you know, we're talking, uh, like you said, less than 100 years yeah. ago, that that went from being a, a quack theory to accepted no. science. No, it was, it was put forth 100 years yeah. ago. It was accepted science, I think, in the 60s. Which, which is bonkers because, you yeah. know, our, our parents were born before, before that was right. the accepted they were science probably, on it. Yeah, they're probably learning it in school when it was coming out. The, the teacher might have been like, all right, I'm not used to teaching this, but this is, <laughs> uh, we got to throw out these. I know what your textbook yeah. well, says there's, from the, from the that, 40s. There's that but... classic uh, uh, question that, that you know, we, we don't know what we're learning today that, that's going to be thrown out as, as crazy and wrong down the road. Uh, right. And, and it, it's, yeah, it, it's something neat to keep in the back of your, your head, although it, yeah. it's, it's tough to apply in the moment as... as a particular filter, just a, a general right. sense of, of uh, always be questioning. Right, right. So here's, the, here, here's what I kind of, I've, I've taught on the show, and, and I, I truly believe like a, big, a, like a big part of the scientific method and a big part of Bayesian inference as well is generating a wide variety of different hypotheses. Um, and so when I see scientific-minded people saying, um, you know, um, kind of ridiculing others for having different hypotheses. I, I, I sort of, I, I remember a, a class that I took at Yale. Um, it was, uh, it was introduction to, um, uh, it was some kind of like freshman class where it was like, we'd have a different lecture from a scientist every week. Was, was, was this like a small seminar or, or big, big lecture? It was like class. a big lecture and then you'd break up into smaller okay. seminars. What was it called? It was like, it, it, it was like um, perspectives on science. I think it was called. I think they discontinued it um, in in favor of some non scientific stuff. <laughs> no, but like so one of the one of the court, one of the classes. And I, look, take this with who knows what the video would say. This is just how I remember it. One of them was on quantum physics, and you know, of course, one of the students was like, "But why couldn't the particle just have known what it was all along?" You know, and rather than the scientist, rather than the scientist just being like, "That's the old discredited theory." <laughs> He was like, okay, but uh, this is the experiment we ran, and this is why that hypothesis doesn't line up with that experiment, and this is why we don't think that. And it's like, okay, why don't, um, wh I mean, why don't more scientists talk like that to the public? I mean, like they would talk to smart undergrad students. I, 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 that's just how I think the, the world should work, and maybe I'm too much of an idealist, but um, that's just... That, that, that's just how well, I think we, we, we could talk for uh, well over an hour on the topic of science communication, but that is not yeah. on today's uh, All agenda. Right. So. Well, that's a good idea. Maybe <laughs> we should talk about it. All right. We're 15 minutes in. Let's get to our predictions. Okay. So I talked about, uh, we used as a launching off point some of the highlights of the year and some of the things we talked about, some of the news stories of the year, because there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of bad news this year, like negative economic news, I think. Um, some sort of troubling political developments, uh, particularly uh, on the um, on, on, on the uh, particularly on the on the war and peace side of things. Um, and so uh, 
it was like, well, what's going well in the world of technology? Um, and I thought the self-driving car story um, w was pretty important just because like, it just seems like an unstoppable um, innovation train. Like every year, it just takes steps forward. Even though it's, it's a long way off, it just keeps... It just keeps going forward a little bit every year. It does, like I, it's possible one year it just stalls for good, but it doesn't look like that's on the horizon. Um, and then, of course, ChatGTP, uh, which is existing technology, which we've been talking on the show, I think, for all five years. We've we've been on it probably. You know, probably we started talking about some of the generative technologies very early on with the fake faces, but like it's really captured the public imagination this year. And so I focused on those two. We also both added some wild cards, and I also said, all right, let's each make a prediction from short term, medium term, and long term. So why don't we start with short term predictions? And I see you've got multiple. <laughs> I didn't say that wasn't allowed, so, you, so I'll allow it. All right, let's start with short term. Okay, so, so in the short term, um, when, when we're talking about self-driving, uh, I, I see continued expansion in the vein of, of Waymo, um, who I, I don't know if we talked about on a recent show or not, but they, they're... San Francisco. Uh, yeah, they, they have driverless, uh, uh, you know, Uber-like operations, um, and they are slowly but surely expanding the geographic zone where that is, is permitted. So I think... Uh, that, that is going to continue to grow into more and larger market spaces, um, but we are not going to see the major breakthrough moment in, in, the, two, in the zero to two year period. Right. That it's, it's going to be a, a slow incremental growth. That, that, that big breakthrough so, is, is I'm, I'm going to foreshadow my medium prediction, that that's going to be in the two to five year round. Do you think- Excuse that, me, the two to 10 year yeah, zone. Do, do you think that, um, so that's, that's not- too bold of a prediction because yeah. they've been doing that for for that long. Um, so, but um, uh, did you just say, well, might as well just uh, might as well just continue the trend? Or do you have any particular uh, risks in that? So, part part of it is that I I think the the biggest obstacle obstacles uh, are are going to start to shift away from the technical and more into the regulatory. Um, yeah. That that I think they're making leaps and bounds, especially on the the if. If we restrict it to bounded geography, you know, if it's you know operating in cities, um, then then I think they're going to make they can continue to make gradual growth there without too much difficulty. Uh, but getting the green light to go in in much more unrestricted ways that's going to take a lot of a lot of lobbying, a lot of work on on the regulatory front before they can get that uh, permitted. Yeah, and and the era of uh, go fast and break things. Uh, Maybe that's a bad choice of words for self-driving cars, uh, but but kind of that that tech entrepreneur approach that that just disregards uh, uh, terra incognita when it comes to re regulatory space is, is is no longer really a, a going concern for that type of thing. You, that you you, you have can't to get it right. you you can't uh, do it you know do it now and ask for forgiveness later with this type of thing. They, they're, they're too big and there's too many eyes watching them. I mean, I would also posit that the move past and break things, I mean, there's still business models where you want to do that, but I feel like most of the stuff, most of the business models where you want to do that have been explored in the previous two decades. Uh, so especially, you know, when it comes to this kind of technologies, now we need to build the careful technology. Um, why don't we just, rather than doing the, doing it by time frame, why don't we just continue along on, um, on, 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 on topics. So, sure. because I had a, a long-term prediction on this, so why don't you go to your medium? Uh, and yeah, so I, I think in that two to 10 year uh, range, we're going to see uh, a major breakthrough in the level four, level five, uh, 
self-driving. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Yes. But, but I, I believe level four is is hands-off and level five is we don't even need the steering wheel there anymore. Yeah, that would be um, scary. So, so I think we're going to see that. And and I, I don't have a... a uh, quantitative metric here other than than I I've, I've put down it's going to be a ubiquitous option but it will not be the majority so so 10 years from now we're not going to say that the majority of the cars on the road are going to be uh you know level four level five self-driving capable but you will be able to go out and buy one it's not going to be a thing that only you know the 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 wealthiest or only we see in labs or in limited limited special districts are only operated by Waymo. It's you're going to be able to go out and buy, whether it's a Tesla or an Audi or, and it may be limited to higher end options, but right. Any, anyone who can buy a, you know, who's able to go out and buy a car will have the option to buy a fully self-driving vehicle. Hmm. You know, the interesting thing is we've been predicting like a late 2020s, 2030 type timeframe for this type of commercialized self-driving cars that we're talking about way back to like 2015, our, our first tech retreat. And so I, I, I sort of think like, have, have we had to adjust that at all? And I think everything has happened on the schedule that we've imagined, although I am worried, you know, it will be on schedule, on schedule, on schedule. <laughs> and then at the last second, it will just be like, oh, we can't quite get there right now. You know, but, but it, it does seem to be on schedule. Well, that, that, that is unrelated to this particular topic, but that is something that I've struggled with uh, with my Metaculous predictions. Um, I, I do not regularly log in and update my predictions. And yeah. for a lot of things, um, so just having been through the end of the year, there are a bunch of things that, that came due at the end of the year. And I got a bunch of notifications like 48 hours before the end of the year that was saying, here's a last chance reminder to update your prediction on, on this thing. And it's you know something I predicted nine months ago that it was going to happen by the end of the year. And for most of those, uh, I, I made what was a, a pretty reasonable prediction based on you know a little bit of gut instinct priors and some research, uh, but the odds of it going from uh, you know my my you know forty or seventy percent prediction to uh, uh, it, it's it's going to be a one or a zero, you know within forty eight hours. So I should probably skew it to the way I think it is and yeah. and and balance that. So there yeah. was and the right way to do that would be to have much more regular check ins and you know if you think something has a seventy five percent chance of happening by the end of the year. Um, you know, 12 months out, uh, you, you should be prorating that as it doesn't happen uh, or, uh, you know, yeah. in, in the lead up to that. And, and that's not something I, that I, I do regularly. That. Right, right. But I, I thought you were going to go to, in a very different place on this. I thought you were going to talk about like projects that you worked on at work and you'd be like on schedule, on schedule, on schedule. And then at the last second, oh no, I can't, can't get it done. Well, it's, <laughs> really. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a corollary ex- to the... Uh, that's something I've ex- you experience in software all the time. It's, it's a corollary to, I think, the, what is it, the... the uh, is it the Pareto rule that yeah, like, you know, 80, 80% of the, the, uh, the, the effort, uh, is, is required for the, the last, last 20%, 20% or the work, yeah. the, there's, there's something similar to that. So yeah, it's, it's the, the last push is always, uh, more, more difficult than, than the preceding, uh, right. majority. Right. But look, I, I mean, we have self-driving on the roads. There are people using taxis with no uh, no safety drivers. I, you know, I I, I, I I really do see it coming to fruition, and we're going to have to wait a long time to see if I'm right. But uh, uh, but but um, you know, God willing, we'll all be here for it. All right. So uh, long term, my long term prediction is kind of interesting. Oh shoot, the uh, the light has it in the way here. So I I, I can see it. You guys it says uh, convenience of self-driving cars. Uh, oh, uh, um, oh, 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 effects and, and leads to the social changes in the 2030s. So I am thinking of the idea of how the um, 
availability of the automobile and the fact that people were not going off to war and were able to get to work affected the um, the social social situation of the 1950s, the rise of the suburbs. And we've predicted and it you know, r- really tw- defined the boomer generation. Right, right. And we predicted in, um, in 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 2015 the rise of the exurbs. Um, which is, which in a little bit is, I'm kind of getting a taste of this uh, uh, these last few years living living out here. Sorry if I, I call your neck of the woods the outer suburbs, but uh, you're not but, wrong. <laughs> but um, um, but well, almost I consider all of New Hampshire to be the outer suburbs. Um, but um, uh, well, and some of it is like downright just out in in the, yeah, in the and, mountains until but, the majority tips to more farms than than McMansions you're you're still in the suburbs right right so i i think that um the ubiquity of self-driving cars is going to be um is going to culturally define the 1930s or the 1930s the 2030s and that generation and i'm also thinking in terms of the fourth turning i'm thinking of what does the first turning world look like i almost want to say first turning america but you know it's really going to be a global thing because let's face it we're in the 21st century uh and so um does that give us like a little bit of independence a little separation well if you say that assuming that uh the breakdown of globalization is not on that uh, that long term yeah. well, projection. Knows? Who knows? I mean, this this goes into like you know social predictions of, of the fourth turning, which are almost impossible to predict. But I feel like as the years go by, there are some aspects of the first turning that are are coming into view, and I feel like self driving cars are one of them, and maybe um, and what. Well, I'd have to like follow it up with what what do our cities look like because I I don't want to give up the cities, um, but I I think that um, I, I I think that uh, uh, I I think they're going to be the, um, the 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 kind of preferred mode of transportation for people outside the cities yeah, and maybe well, even inside the cities for for taxis. And, and so b- before I get to my prediction, uh, that that sounds very. Uh reminiscent of a prediction I heard about helicopters and I'm, I, I can't I can't remember when it was made it may, it may have been in that period but yeah, yeah it was that yeah everyone's gonna have a helicopter and so it's go- and, and we've heard the same thing about you know transporter technology if and when it comes is that yeah. you, you will be able to have all the benefits of being in the city and you know the nightlife and being able to go there to work and uh, but you will be able to live out in the countryside you know with with more space and and you know well, both in terms of, of property and, and larger home uh, and, and not be packed on top of each other in tenements like sardines um, and, and all brought to you by the helicopter, which will fly directly from your home to you know your place of work or recreation. There was that case where the Uber helicopter was cheaper than a cab from Manhattan to uh, <laughs> for, for a short period of time uh, from Manhattan to uh, uh, to the airport. And, uh, you know, I could just imagine like, you know, going into well, and, the and Hudson River and be like, ah, this, that's my, that's my helicopter. And urban air mobility is definitely looking to, to capture that market. I think one of their big use cases is, is getting people from locations in the city to airports um, and, you know, feeding into larger transportation networks. But, yeah. but that, they're, they're, they're definitely, uh, that also reminds me like oh, things to overcome. In yeah. That I, I read an article recently and I don't have the article in front of me, so this is not like an official local maximum. I'm, I'm, Telling you, explaining you the article, but um, but Amazon is you know restarting their drone program. I did see that. And that yeah. was first um, that was first uh, presented to us, and I believe it was kind of like an overly ambitious marketing video from Amazon in 2013. Well, did, didn't like Domino's like, before that deliver a pizza via drone as a yeah. as a, a stunt? Is that going to be the kind of thing that's always like the future, but it never really is well, practical? 
I, I would not have predicted you know, even a year before it happened, the existence of in certain or urban cores getting having what is it like two hour delivery from Amazon? Hmm. So I'm 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 not going to undersell their ability to deliver on that type of thing. But but I would expect that it's going to be geographically constrained at least in All the right. time being. All right. So Although, it sounds like sorry. Go ahead. The, there, uh, I'm I'm trying to remember where I heard him interviewed, but um, it it, it may have been on Tom Wood's show. Uh, but a gentleman who was doing uh, work with a drone delivery service uh, development for uh medical applications. Um, and, and because of the regulatory environment in the U S he was, he was doing that, that development work, uh, in Africa, I believe. But, um, if, if they can pull it off for that, then, then, I mean, that's the proof of concept. It's, it's just a matter of bringing it to other markets and scaling it appropriately. Right. Right. So it sounds like we're both still bullish on self-driving cars. I mean, maybe that's not a surprise, but it's like at some point, at some point, do we get too bullish? And, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm always worried. I'll, I'll throw in my long-term yeah. prediction there, I, which is a little Jetsony. Okay, but, go for it. Um, I, I think, and and because we we determine. By the way, George Jetson was born last year, according to the official <laughs> uh, birth date of George Jetson. George um, Jetson, uh, human infant. Yes, because, uh, yes, because he was um, he was 40 years old. He was 42 years old in I think 1963 when the Jetsons are sorry 1963 Jetsons came out. It was 100 years in the future, 2063. So, yes. Um, so I because we've we've ranked uh, or, or binned long term as ten plus years. Uh, I'm saying that that human driving will be limited uh, to uh, a luxury or a hobbyist pursuit, hmm. uh, with with perhaps the exception of some some very narrow specialties, um, you know, for for very um, specific tasks that that they still need or require a human driver. But but that the vast majority of of driving use cases are going to be that. You know, fully autonomous, uh, m- most likely not even have a steering wheel. For, Are you for thinking override. like stick shift type uh, situation? Uh, may- maybe a little bit like that or, or like the, the type of people. Because I know who, you know how to drive a stick shift. Uh, I, that is uh, a misconception. Oh, no? Uh, much, much like people assume that I was an Eagle Scout. Uh, yes. No, I, I, I was never involved in organized scouting, um, but I give off that vibe. Uh, I, I, I do not actually know how to drive a stick shift. I, I think I have uh, a, a sum total of like. 90 minutes uh, behind the wheel on a stick shift before... I thought uh, you had one. No, no. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but, so, so maybe stick shifts or, or you know, the, the type of people who have, you know, 70s muscle cars that they, that they yeah. actually work on, those are the type of people who might still be driving their own car, you know, yeah. on, on weekends uh, and, and to... Uh, well, and, and, and I think the terminology is going to flip because what we refer to now as self-driving is the car does the driving. Right. In the future, self-driving is going to be when you have to drive it yourself. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, that, that, so, that... so there will be self-driving enthusiasts who go to you know, right. meet up in, in, in a, a, you know, a big field or a parking lot and show off their, their retro cars and their, the mods they've made to them. Yeah, and yeah. the majority like of people are going to think, yeah, what are those wackadoos wasting their money on with this? Yeah. It, it, well, and what about the people in Cuba? They'll still have their 1950s yeah, cars, maybe, and 1920s maybe. cars. Um, well, and, and I but, wonder how much, uh, how much the 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 kind of manual driving uh, trend will be tied to uh, internal combustion engines, uh, or or if uh, part of the move to to modern uh, uh, yeah, because electric or or some sort of of hybrid or or non. Uh, it, it may still be a fossil fuel, but it's not going to be a traditional, you know, internal combustion gasoline engine. I, I would expect. Um, but but will manual driven cars uh, also exist in significant numbers in that space, or will it? You'll only be able to get that experience with a uh, a petrol vehicle. Yes, 
Okay, so I'm going to shift to generative AI, chat GPT, and we, should, we need to do a whole bunch of other episodes on this directly. Um, my very short-term prediction, like we'll, we'll, we'll bring this out in, in Q4 in the, uh, in the tech retreat, it, and this is an easy prediction, but <laughs> I feel like predictions for a year are so tough to make. It's either too easy or too difficult, but it's just there's just going to be a large amount of venture capital and angel investments in, um, in chat and generative AI applications trying to ride that wave. Now, of now when you say investment. that, are you, are you talking about building new large language models, that kind of investment, or the using something like GTP3 uh, in a business venture? Both, both. And I also think, look, when I had Jason Syverson on here in the studio a few weeks ago, uh, same thing, like using this new deep learning technology to, um, to to build a new product. I think that is going to be very popular with uh, with uh, with with the, 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 the people who are funding businesses. I think it's kind of like a safe business in that, not, not safe in that, like, you know, these are inherently like investing in startups is is very difficult, but kind of like, hey, some of these are going to hit big because this is a kind of, this kind of virgin territory where, um, you know, these things weren't possible five, 10 years ago. I, I wonder how much possible. it's going to be for the next uh, 12 to 24 months yeah. that, uh, like it was a few years ago, um, anything, any business prop, uh, proposal that that has you know the, the words GTP three or or uh, you know large language model in, in it is is going to attract funding just like you used to be able to just say blockchain yeah and yeah. someone would throw money at you and I also predict and this doesn't belittle the 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 um, the technology at all but for now now that I'll add the the medium term two to ten years there will be some kind of bubble in, in this area. Um, as as always happens, because whenever there's a good thing going with money, uh, humans always <laughs> we'll tend push to it over, too far. We'll push it too far until uh, until they're they're forced to be pulled back. There's never a uh, we, there's never we a do like to double it. down, don't we? We we absolutely do. So, uh, we've all done it. So uh, this is this is probably a pretty safe uh, prediction to make because I, I think they've they've announced their their intentions on this uh, at least loosely, but yeah. uh, I, I believe GTP. Four GTP is expected four. to drop uh, in 2023. Right. Uh, I don't know if it'll be before our uh, our next tech retreat, but I I would put a higher uh, probability on it on it being out by then than not. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I wonder if it's just are they just making larger neural networks that have basically the same architecture and just throwing more computation at it, or um, are they're probably trying to do some algorithmic grade threes as well. Right. I'd love is, to do is some the difference research on that. quantitative or qualitative? Yeah, but I feel like even even quantitative tends to make a huge difference. And these models are have capabilities that um, that the, the people designing them did not foresee, which is mm. very interesting. And some and some huge drawbacks. I think the big um, the big benefit is when these language models can interface with. Um, exacting databases, kind of like the uh, the category theory-based databases of Conexus that I interviewed uh, Eric Daimler about uh, earlier this year. I feel like once those last two... Uh, yeah, last year, <laughs> this past year uh, is, is what I meant. Once these two get together, then, um, then it'll be incredibly smart. Because right now, it's like, if you try playing tic-tac-toe with this thing, it can't keep straight what the board looks like. But if you have an exacting database... Uh, that it can access um, with all the knowledge that it has, and it could sort of say, "Okay, I'll, I'll 
I'll kind of fill in some of the gaps with language models, but I'll also tell what I get from databases and source it exactly. I think that'll be extremely powerful once they kind of figure that all out. Yeah. So, and, and in the short term, uh, I'm, I'm predicting a major academic scandal tied to the use of uh, GTP. Um, Interesting. M- m- not, not in the vein of, of, you know, people at OpenAI, uh, you know, have, have done something uh, improprietous. Yeah, I think more, I more in the, in the vein of, you know, uh, PhD thesis rejected uh, because it turns out that, that the person submitting it didn't actually write it and didn't disclose that. Or, uh, you know, maybe uh, basically things, things analogous to uh, plagiarism accusations. Yeah. Do you know, um, do you remember uh, Peter Bergosian who yes. submitted false, uh, he purposefully submitted false uh, paper, like ridiculous papers to journals and, and got them in. I wonder if uh, chat GTP can write some academic papers and, and get it accepted to journals uh, more easily than, than certainly I can. Um, I felt like it was very tough trying to use that to help, help with my writing. I, I gave it a shot. Um, what I found was that there is, and I, I wrote this on Twitter, there's like a, um, I can give it some bullet points. I'm like, these are the points I want to make, turn it into a paragraph. It will turn it into a paragraph, but then I have to edit down its paragraph. And what I find very sinister is that it adds sentences and phrases in there that are empty sentences and empty phrases, but it takes me a long time to realize that they're empty. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this where I feel like we're just trained to like skip over those and say, it flows good, it looks good, but then then you really have to think about what it wrote and be like, wait, I shouldn't say this in my writing. This doesn't say anything. I've got to take it out. And so so I think part of that is that it's trained less on, you know, technical writing and more on conversational writing. Perhaps. Um, and and there's a, a huge divide uh, between the engineer and the diplomat. Um, and the engineer archetype is, uh, you know, distill it down to the simplest possible, you know, construction, uh, least least superfluous content and, and communicate as directly as you can the key facts. Right. Uh, the, the diplomat uh, wants to say as little of meaning as possible in as many words as possible. Mm. Um, I, I think there, there's, there's so actually a bit in an Isaac Asimov story um, yeah. where, where a, a diplomat of the Galactic Empire comes for like a two-week diplomatic visit uh, and uh, someone surreptitiously has recorded everything they've said during their visit and they feed it into this algorithm that can you know, kind of reduce their uh, sp- uh, spoken word into symbolic logic and then it balances the logical equation and it turns out it zeroes out to, to nothing of meaning was said in the entire <laughs> visit. And, and sometimes that is the purpose of communication is that you, you want to uh, engage in the exchange but commit to nothing. Uh, and so and I saying, would not be at all surprised that that it has uh, adopted or or been trained on on a lot of communication with that level of fluff in it. So you're saying the first jobs to go will be the diplomats and the ambassadors. <laughs> they should be uh, replaced by. I've well, heard a speech from a. I heard a speech sh- from an ambassador once. You're right. It was two hours with nothing said. Sh- show me uh, an AI that can be effectively bribed, and and yes, we'll be there. Um, I think that a computer can figure out the cost benefit of a of a of, a, if, of some crypto. If if they can if they can accomplish human level corruption, then <laughs> then uh, our 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 time is numbered. All right, all right. Chat GPT for UN Secretary General, maybe. <laughs> all right. So so, so uh, did did you already hit on Medium or is? is... Uh, I think we've taught. Um, uh, that was uh, that was short term. Okay. I mean, I think we we touched on Medium, but yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. What's so so I. 
my 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 medium prediction is that something like an AI copilot, um, uh, not not necessarily meaning explicitly, I because I, I think copilot copilot is a product that they've released to to assist with coding, but it, but in the sense of of human AI collaborations, um, you know, think think your uh, digital assistant like the one from Amazon or or, or something like that, but uh, with with a a skill set that is more tuned to the particular field that you work in, I think that is going to be uh, very common for almost all white collar jobs. You know, mm. not necessarily taking the place of, but kind of augmenting, maybe having an assistant or or an intern or or a, a, an underling who is not as skilled as you at some things, but has uh, a, a lot of knowledge and can assist you with repetitive tasks in in a technical space. Um, and and I think we'll also start to see that in some blue, you know, in, in some blue collar fields as well, where automatable, um, you know, not unlike what we saw a generation ago with CNC machines. Um, CNC machining did not uh, do away with the the human machinist, but it definitely changed the balance of how many there were and and what their particular expertise was in. Can you talk more about that? I'm not, I'm not as familiar with that. I don't, I'm not sure the audience is as well. Well, so I I don't have a huge background in the manufacturing side, but but yeah. one piece that I, I have a, a passing interest is the uh, the firearms industry. Um, and uh, a generation or two ago, uh, pretty much everything was was made by hand, uh, you know, on on milling machines. And there there were varying degrees of, you know, hand fitting that needed to happen for assembling multiple parts. Um, and that uh, with the advent of, of CNC and, and also with, you know, certain uh, improvements in, in materials design that allowed polymers to replace, uh, you know, forged steel and, and milled steel in a lot of places that has changed. And so mm. uh you can get a, a product that comes off the the CNC line, the the um, you know off off the computer controlled milling machine that is ninety five ninety nine percent of the way there and needs a much smaller amount of fitting. And so the investment has gone from uh, what a hundred years ago was a human labor intensive, and that was was one of the largest uh, cost points in production, to the the investment being in the uh, the production equipment in the CNC mills and and the factory technology um, and there are still uh, machinist experts who are required to operate that uh, but but it's it's a very different paradigm than it was uh, even just a generation ago all right um, yeah and, and and it's it's dramatically changed the design approach because when when your constraining factor is is uh, well when when human labor is cheap. It makes things it makes sense to do things a certain way, and when human labor is becomes expensive, uh, but repetitive tasks can be automated, uh, and and certain materials, uh, you know, material changes come along, then you design something very differently for the same, th- same purpose. And there's there's a, a nostalgia f- factor in there too that a lot of people say, well, you know, the way they did things 50, 100 years ago, they they turned out a superior product, and and. That may be true, but if they were to try and design a, a product for the same uh, requirements, the same goals, they absolutely would not take the approach they took 50 years ago because of, of those different inputs. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think we, we, will see, we, will, we will see some of that. Um, and, and we're already seeing some of it. This, this kind of gets to uh, one of my predictions on the industrial side. Right. We've we got a lot, a lot of robots in warehouses now, and that hasn't oh, sure. done away with human workers. There are a couple of, of warehouses that are lights-off warehouses where it's only robots. But I think in most cases— I'd love to tour one one day. <laughs> that, that would be kind of cool. And, yeah. and there may actually—so uh, Kiva Systems, which is yeah. now part of Amazon, um, I believe— they uh, they were headquartered down in Woburn uh, okay. here in, in or right. not here in 
can New we Hampshire, tour, down can in we Massachusetts. Tour, uh, uh, Boston Dynamics. Um, that that would be here. cool. That would that would be cool. Yeah, a local maximum tour. Um, all right. So, uh, any long term on? Um, I, I didn't I didn't do my long term on uh, on generative AI. So, so yeah, I'll, like I'll, I'll throw this out there. It's it's yeah. not exactly generative AI. It's it's more of a response to it. Okay. Uh, I I think about in in the ten years out window, we're going to start seeing people. Um, because of of all the kind people of AO copilot thing going on, yeah, I should be, be point out, and maybe this is not what you're talking about. People are worried about, you know, mimicking uh, public figures and fake news and all. Oh that. yeah, deep deep fakes for yeah. sure. We we've talked about that before, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I I think uh, as a response to the growing capabilities of AI and uh, the the threat of AI driving people out of certain fields, um, that we're going to see. Things like Neuralink, uh, kind of developing a much more of a, a viable cyborg approach that people are going to be looking at, at enhancements and implants to allow them to better compete to find a niche that that uh, they're they're still able to operate within, uh, so that they don't get driven out of, of the market space by AI. Oh man! Uh, uh, and, yeah. and I think it's going to take them. It's going to take people like Neuralink that long to really get beyond you know proof of concept we can put in pigs and chimps to something that would actually, uh, you know, a significant number of people would, would sign on for. Yeah, I, I, I would be very careful. Uh, <laughs> let me put it that way. There's, there's a lot of interesting philosophical discussion to be had on, on the whole concept of transhumanism. Right. And, you know, can, can we uh, give, give the finger to Darwin and say, we're not going to wait for, uh, for nature to evolve us into something better. We're going to build ourselves into something better. And, mm. and it... It, it, it's an attractive philosophy, but uh, there be dragons. Uh, so right, yeah, right. Be, we need to be careful if and how we approach. I mean, that. a lot of people have prosthetics and and right. It's it's, it's definitely a spectrum. It's it's not yeah. a not an on off switch. Which, yeah, but 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 just to 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 replace parts of yourself, or to or even to like plug in somewhere. It's like, yeah, I, I don't want to be the first one doing that. Yeah. Well, but, I've 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 heard a. a, a Theory is the wrong term for it, but someone has has put forward the idea of almost using something like Neuralink uh, as as a uh, a cure to some of the digital overload that we're experiencing. That um, if you can't control, you know, we, we've we've talked about being able to have your own filter or, or your own uh, sure. or, you know algorithm for sorting something like yes. Twitter or Facebook. Yes, yes, yes. Um, let's let's make it platform independent now, in the sense that. Uh, there's so much information, so much data out there that the the flow is difficult to control, and and we know that some of it is being used to manipulate us. If we can basically install a mental firewall, so no data gets into our our core brain without passing through this this digital filter, uh, which which will kind of translate it and 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 convert it into a, a form that that we we strip out all the stuff that we think is is trying to manipulate us um and and that's something that that a, a neural link like interface might enable us to do um, obviously there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done before think, that that could happen but but it's an attractive friend, concept i think i saw a friend on linkedin post something very similar uh, uh to that about how you know uh, they used to design to minimize friction, but now they're designing to say, where, where do we want to add friction? Where do we want to add, 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 put up gates? And so maybe I'll try to find that um, specifically and, 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 and look at it. All right, let's round out some of the last predictions. I mean, I, on my wild card, of course, I had to do the crypto predictions. I think the big thing for, in, in the medium term, and the, the, this is where people are on very different sides. Smart people are on very different sides. And the question is, does Ethereum lead the next 
bull run. And, you know, and the case for that is they had this merge. Ethereum is now on proof of stake instead of proof of work. Um, and, you know, some people say that is far superior. Some people say, well, now that, um, now that they have superior tech and now that, um, you know, and now that the, uh, the, the amount of Ethereum is truly capped, now it can finally take its place as the flipping occurs and it, 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 it leapfrogs over Bitcoin. There is another side to well, that. So, so when, when you say leads the bull run, you, would the metric for that literally be that, that Ethereum uh, exceeds Bitcoin's uh, it could just be it. It, it leads. Um, it, it it grows or, or becomes decoupled. Well, I, I would right. So it's it's hard to measure that. But let me get let me get to that in a second okay. because let me give the flip side of the argument. The other argument, and this is this is the case made by people from Michael Saylor and and other Bitcoiners, is that well, Bitcoin is harder to change, so that means it's going to be more stable over time and it's going to have the most value in the long run. They also say that proof of uh, proof of work is a more viable uh, solution in the long run. I don't want to get into the arguments now, um, but I feel like we're going to have over the next few years, depending upon if there's a next bull run and how it goes, um, uh, half of those people are going to feel really smart because they, they, they're going to say, I told you so and I saw it coming. We just don't know which half. And I feel like they're they're not as smart as they're going to think they are because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's half and a half. But there are good arguments, I think, on, on both sides. And so um, th- th- that's what I'm predicting. Um, I'm predicting there's going to be a lot of told you so's from one side. I just don't know which one. To measure which one wins, I think if Ethereum, I don't think it necessarily has to overtake Bitcoin in market cap. But if, if, the, um, if over the next five-year period, its ratio continues to improve, uh, in relation to Bitcoin, well, that's a pretty good sign. Um, that doesn't mean you know things can't change around in the next five years, of course. Because, but uh, I, at some point, I think there there will be a winner, and and the next five years will show us will give us a significant clue. Um, you know, and look, there are other possibilities. I you know, I don't I don't think so, but I, like it could be inconclusive. They could both go up and in tandem, and it could be like, okay, we're having these same arguments in five years, or it could just be like, hey, and and I I hope not. I don't think so. It could be like there's not really any bull run over the next five years. People are so sick and tired of what happened. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that the the the, the sheer fact that these um, digital assets are so um, you know are so limited um, in 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 and, and unique in that you know you're really only getting percentages of the network, and um, those percentages are cut in stone. It cannot be diluted or anything like that. I think those are, that's what gives these uh, uh, these particular tokens their value, particularly or, or these particular cryptocurrencies. This is what gives Bitcoin its value. What gives Ethereum its value. A lot of the things built on Ethereum don't have value. So I guess the case um, against Ethereum, but there's a small portion of them that do, and Ethereum is the plat is the go-to platform. So, so my, if anything has value, Ethereum does. So my, my midterm prediction uh, yeah. kind of goes in the opposite direction of that. But right. be, but before I get to that, um, two two uh, almost throwaway uh, short-term predictions. Uh, one, Twitter's going to rebound, probably not with Musk at the head. Not meaning that he's going to sell it, but but that he will bring in somebody else to lead it. But I, I think that within two years, uh, we're we're going to see uh, Twitter at least back to where it was. You know, kind of financially stability wise before he now let me over. ask you this question because if you go back to decentralizing before our eyes uh that episode back in the in the wake of january 6th 
Um, and, and, and when they took Donald Trump off, that, that's what, um, that's what prompted me to make that. I talked about like some serious systemic issues that these, um, that these, um, these social networks like Twitter has. Now I didn't foresee Elon Musk coming in and buying it. So now it's totally different, but I also thought about it. Like it still has some of these issues where you can't, you can't make everybody happy. And can you really build something that's good for the whole world? Do you think he's going to overcome that? Or do you have any particular like ideas on how that might happen? I like I, I don't think he's going to take uh, you know take it open source or, or open API kind of like the, the Project Blue Sky idea, um, and and I don't think it's in his interest as the owner to completely divorce the content from the carrier aspect of it either. Um, but but I, I think from a from a financial standpoint, he will be able to make it a a you know, a viable going concern. Right. Um, so you're saying as crazy as, as everyone is saying he is right now, he's, he's, he's figuring it out. Um, and uh, it does I, seem like he's someone who like, you know, kind of learns over time. I, I so. don't, I don't want to give him that much kudos. Uh, let me rephrase it more as, uh, he can't do that much worse than they were doing before. Right. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like, uh, he's probably thinking, um, like a lot of people have been thinking in this economy, man, if I had just sold my Tesla slot stock in 2021 and then waited for Twitter to dump, um, and, and just, just gave them maybe to the, to the beginning of 2023, I could have gotten them so cheap and I could have had like $40 billion more than I have now, but still, I think he'll be able to turn it around. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a, an open question of, would they have kind of, they haven't exactly crashed and burned, but but would they have uh, had had such a rough year if he hadn't been in the picture at all? Uh, I, I think they still would have had plenty of problems. But oh, they but his they his, they his engagement with them certainly accelerated uh, yeah. some of that. Well, there's that, stock that there's was... a lot that that would maybe not have come to light if he hadn't uh, you know gone into the arena to to do battle with their them. stock was already taking a nosedive. It continued to go down. It continued to go down, and the only thing that buoyed it up to a reasonable price was the fact that Elon Musk was. Um, waiting on the sidelines with that offer for so many months. We forget that. Now, once he took it over, look at how badly all of these other companies have done. Look at how badly Facebook has done. Look at how badly um, Google has done. Look at how badly Amazon has done. You know, And um, Twitter would have gone down with all of them and probably would have gone down at an even higher percentage than those. So yeah, it, it would have been in, 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 in dire straits at that point uh, if there was no Musk uh, if there was no willing buyer like Musk, like yeah. they, they would have been, they, they got lucky. They is as much as they complained, they got very lucky that the, the owners and the, and the, and the top management. So, so the um, other short term, you know, within the next two years, uh, it, it ties into what I was saying before about AI and, and, and generative learning. Uh, I, I think we're going to see more robotics and warehouses and more, uh, retail establishments with little or no, uh, human employees, at least on the, mm. uh, on the, the, the customer facing side. So like we've seen with, with, you know, Amazon go, uh, or, um, uh, you know, I, I've heard there, there've been a number of McDonald's that have kind of experimentally, they, uh, reduced their staff to basically there's, you know, one or two managers, uh, overseeing the robots in the back, but, uh, the whole front of house is, is automated. I I think we're going to see a lot more, uh, experimentation in that space, rolling things further out. Um, It's it's not that, you know, the the minimum wage worker is going to be a thing of the past, uh, but we're going to see uh, moves into that direction. I think back in episode 29 with uh, with Clyde Vanell, we talked about how... um, uh, Even back then in 2018, there there was in Astor Place a a Shake Shack um, that... uh, um, 
did not have uh, that 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 was all automated. And so I, I'm I'm curious to go back today and see what <laughs> see what that's like. But you know, um, yeah, the, I, I'm I'm sure. Uh, well, I I would expect that they had a better luck. Uh, surviving the pandemic than uh, uh, an operation that Possibly. had to support staff. By the way, I thought there were no Shake Shacks here. It's not true. It turns out there's one in um, in Burlington. And by the way, I'm also, I forgot to tell you because I'm kind of upset with you Uh-oh. now. Because <laughs> I've been living here for what? Uh, uh, nearly two years. And I... Only found out till recently there was a Pepe's Pizza. You never told me there was a Pepe's Pizza at I've the Burlington mall, mall. Oh my god! And it was really good. Um, and you know the now, one in New they're, Haven. They're New Haven based. Is that their original location? Yes, they're New Haven based, and you have to wait online for an hour to get in in New Haven. I heard the one in Burlington is almost as good, even though it's in the mall, and um, and you could go in and, and and get served Pepe's Pizza. Pepe's Pizza. I I did once a. Um, my, one of my first projects at Foursquare was to kind of um, do some early versions of ratings. And one of my first data sets I pulled is what is the best place in every state? And the, the top rated place in Connecticut was Pepe's Pizza. Huh. So, um, so I, I, def- I had it over, uh, over the, sometime over the last few weeks. Was it, was it during, uh, no, I think it was, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago I, I went there and, and I had Pepe's Pizza. So, uh, yeah, glad to know that that's there. Glad to know Shake Shack is there. Thanks a lot for <laughs> cluing me in. But, uh, but uh, no, it was great. Maybe maybe we can go sometime. Well, I, this this is Bertucci country up here. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I think the original Wait Bertucci's is in, uh, in Bertucci's. Davis Square uh, in, in Cambridge. There's a Bertucci's in the mall right over here in Salem. It's not that great. I'm sorry. Well, I, I didn't uh, say it was. Yeah. I'm just, you know, much like this is Duncan, not Starbucks country. Yeah. I do like Duncan. That's one. This one is going to get people upset, but I am a fan of Duncan over Starbucks. I mean, I, I, I have both. Don't get me wrong. I'm not above either of them, but I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, I, I, I gravitate towards Duncan. I don't know what that says about me. Pepe's Pizza all the way. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, well, um, so we we got sidetracked there. Maybe um, we could have some automated Pepe's Pizza. That would be uh, that would be pretty. You, you got to get that amazing. recipe just right. Yeah, exactly. Um, or we could drone it from New Haven. Thirty minutes or less. Yeah, can can have to fly fast. Right. Uh, so medium term, you you were talking about Ethereum, right? And and the prediction that it'll lead the bull run. Uh, I think in the two to ten year period, we're going to see a major government. Um, so when I say major government, I'm thinking like the U.S. or the EU or something on that scale uh, attempt to launch a central bank digital currency, a, a CB- CBDC, uh, and it's going to flop. Hmm. That reminds me. That second part might be wish casting because yes. if, if it does launch, I do not want it to succeed. But right. But remember, remember Facebook's uh, uh, currency. What, what was it even called? Libra. The, Lib- so well, but then it changed its the, name. I was going to say, yeah. And uh, then, like, and then it, and then it just, and then it flopped. Now states have a lot more going for it when figuring out the currency because they often have the power to say this is the currency we use now by law. So it's going to be tough. But state. Um, projects, government projects like this flop all the time. So I think you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're certainly, um, you're certainly, um, I'm, I'm, your wish may come true. I'll put it that way. I'll put it that way. Now, do, do, do you have a long term uh, for, for this category? 
No, I don't. Okay, so so I will throw out one. Uh, so the, the, and then the first we're going to wrap up. We got to get to probability distribution. The first part is wish casting. The second part maybe less so. Okay. Um, so my my long term uh, prediction uh, is that we will have no nuclear war in the ten plus uh, you know in in the next ten years. Yay! Okay, and if we don't, then we'll be here to celebrate our win. And if we do, we won't be here. <laughs> yeah. To, so uh, my my maybe less wish casting piece of that is that. There might be a single-digit number of tactical nuclear detonations, <laughs> but but not a nuclear war. Okay, okay. And in that case, hopefully we'll still be here to discuss it. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, on that happy next, note. On that happy note. And now, the probability distribution of the week. All right. The probability distribution. The, the, the probability distribution of the week. That's a lot of syllables starting out the starting out 2023 with a lot of syllables. I'm going to have a hard time saying 2023. Okay, this, as I said in the last show, this year, last year we explored a lot of discrete and finite distributions, and that's what my paper was about. This year, we are going to explore continuous distributions, distributions in continuous space, like the real numbers. 2023, the year of the continuous distribution. The year of the continuum, yes. Uh, So let's just start with the simplest one which is not the normal distribution. It's the uh, uniform distribution on continuous space. So what's a uniform distribution? Well, uh, you pick a splotch of space. I don't know if splotch is a real mathematical term, but you, you pick a patch of space. Let's, let's say the real number is between zero and one, right? That's a pretty s- simple one. And then you say, okay, uh, every line segment in there the probability of my number being in that line segment is just going to be proportional to the length of the line segment. So, and because zero and one has exactly length one, it's actually the probability is going to be exactly equal to the length of the line segment. So, there's a 50 50 chance between zero and a half. There's a 50 50 chance between a half and one. There's a 50, there's a, there's a 0.1 chance. There's a 10% chance it's between 0.3 and 0.4, et cetera, et cetera. So, uniform seems pretty. Straightforward. Now, is is it significant or meaningful that uh, if if we try and find the probability of a uh, a given point that that it is in infinitesimally small? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I yes, yes. So in in a finite uniform distribution, uh, the probability at a point is is finite, but in a continuous distribution, the probability at a point is, is yeah, it's probability zero, um, which is always very confusing in probability theory because probability zero. If each point is, is probability zero and now yes. we add up all the points, it has to add up to one. Yeah. But the problem is you're adding up a, you're not even adding up a, a countable number of points. Right. Cause, up an cause there's an infinite number of points. You can yeah. always no, put not, another point. Yeah. In. Uh, yeah. The, uh. It's not just that there's an infinite number of points. There's a continuum of points. So it's not like, you're you're adding zero plus zero plus zero plus zero plus zero, and I mean that's that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But you can't even um, enumerate them. It's 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 the continuum. So uh, because of Cantor's diagonal theorem, I'm not going to go down that route. That's a whole show for right another there. day. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, but yes, you're adding up an infinite number of zeros, and you get uh, an uncountably infinite number of zeros, and you're getting a a, a finite value. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and most continuous distributions are going to be like that. There might be a few hybrid uh, distributions that we get to, um, but um, um, but but yeah, that's uh, that, that that's certainly a feature of continuous space. Now, look. So I said I talked about the uniform on zero one, right? Of course, you could have a uniform on zero two or anything like that. Um, but notice I said that um, for every segment of length x, 
it has an X chance that your point is going to be in that segment. Notice that I said length in that definition. And so that means that in order to have a uniform distribution, you need to have some notion of measure on the set in the first place. So this is kind of the tricky part. See, this is where uniform is almost, um, you, you'd think it's like something obvious, but you're actually, when you say uniform, you're actually presupposing a whole set of definitions and assumptions underneath it. Now, sometimes it's kind of obvious, right? Like if I say um, a uniform point on planet Earth, you kind of think, okay, well, every square mile or every square kilometer of, of Earth is going to have the same uh, probability um, just because that's physical space. In physical space, we kind of have an objective, uh, an objective way to measure physical space. S setting aside for a moment the issue of trying to divide the earth up into squares when we really should be using hexagons and what, five pentagons? Right, right. But I think those are, um, those are approximations to what we really want. So um, that's fine. And of course, and I don't think those are meant to be equal size either. Right. Um, so, um, so like, yeah, sometimes in some physical um, situations, it's, it's obvious and sometimes it's not. You know, for example, um, let's suppose I'm thinking of a number that is a probability and it's between zero and one. Okay, great. So if I'm thinking of a uniform probability, I might be thinking of some uniform distribution in, in inside zero and one. But what if we're talking about like la, the, the, the odds, which is the probability divided by one minus the probability. Okay, so now you're talking about a number between zero and infinity. And let's say we, we, pick, some, um, we pick some segment in there and we want like a uniform distribution in that segment. Now all of a sudden it's just, it's, it's distributed very differently just because we've done some transformation on it. And uh, then you, you think about it for a little more and you're like, any transformation that you want to do, you could almost turn any kind of bounded, non-uniform uh, distribution into a uniform distribution by changing the underlying measure and doing some transformation on it. So that's kind of the trippy part about uniform distribution. Um, and it's also related to the prior problem because in episode 207, we talked about something called the Bertrand paradox. I don't know if you remember that. Um, <clears throat> but that's when, like you said, okay, well, we were, th that was a year ago. That was like when I first got back. Uh, th th that was actually the equivalent episode to the one we're doing today, the first episode between the two of us in the year. And it was called like Max Returns with Priors. <laughs> and, um, and it was, uh, it, it was about the fact that um, the, the idea of have, taking a random chord in a circle is not very well defined. Um, there are like several different plausible ways of doing it. It's like, well, do you pick, you know, two random points on the outside of the circle and then connect them? Uh, that's a random chord. Or do you pick a point, you know, inside the circle, a random point inside the circle, and then kind of... Uh, Make up the center of your chord. Exactly, exactly. And so there, there are several different ways of doing it. And those are all very different distributions. And that's because there are different like transformations of the underlying measure of the space, which we could call chord space uh, underneath it. So, um, so again, a uniform distribution seems very straightforward, seems like a good one to use. And a lot of, uh, it, it seems like a good assumption to make, particularly for priors. But there's a little bit of a, of, of a trickiness to it. Um, and I think you also mentioned the idea of like, well, if you want a random, um, if you want a random square, are you talking about a uniform distribution on the sides or a uniform distribution in the, in the, uh, in the area? And that, right. Cause, again, cause they do not map directly to each other. No, you get no. very, very different 
it's a it's a transformance. One is the square root of another. One is the square of another. And so you're you're sort of transforming the numbers. And um, you know you can almost think of you know pick a random number between zero and one, and then pick a number between zero and one, a random number between zero and one, and then square it. And now it's no longer it's no longer uniform, but it's uniform from another point of view. So yes, that's the trickiness of it. Um, you also wrote here, it's reminiscent of the Sleeping Beauty problem. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. that yeah, really just, just in the sense that, that there is more than one way in which you can kind of structure or interpret the, your calculation of probabilities, and, and they make sense. And there's not, a, you know, there, there's, there's not a way of looking at it and saying, oh, you've made a, a logical you know, uh, the fa- fallacy or, or, or misinterpretation here. It's, it's just that you know, your, your different priors uh, are, are going to drive... Uh, you know how how you structure that, and it's it's not laid out in the initial problem statement to to define a particular approach there. Right, right. So, um, and, and by the way, we talked about the Sleeping Beauty problem in episode two forty nine. A lot of callbacks on this episode, particularly for people who are new to the show, uh, to know that we talk about a lot of really fascinating topics, and and our, and our back library is 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 full of this stuff. Um, so even though there's a bit of a relativistic issue. With uh, you know, relativistic issues, is that what I want to say? There's a little bit of an issue with you got to be careful about your point of view with uniform. And by the way, it could be in two-dimensional space, three-dimensional space, hundred-dimensional space. It could even be in a mathematical space that is infinite dimensional. Yeah, I mean, but, th- this is this is. So you just need to define a measure on it, which goes back to measure theory, where mathematicians are like, "This is the definition of what a measure is," and you know, you could really have a uniform uh, distribution on anything. That this is this is why in in school they tell you show your work mm. uh, because if and your assumptions if if you if you don't document you know what the assumptions are and how you're arriving at your your uh, uniform distribution your your random uh, assignment here uh, you you may have a very different assumptions there than somebody else looking at the same problem and they they you know just because you get different results doesn't mean that your approaches are wrong right, um, right. but but without that context it's it's difficult to tell where you've diverged. Exactly, exactly. All right, so I have a few more comments to make on the uniform distribution. First of all, it's very difficult to have uh, uniform random values on zero to one. It's very, it's very, it's, it's very useful to, to generate them. Um, so for example, you know, if, I, if I'm writing a, a computer program, uh, if I'm writing a method that I, I want it to do something 20% of the time, I just generate a random number between zero and one and see if it's under 0.2. And so, you know, that's, that's something that's common people do. It's very easy to produce those random numbers because um, in binary, you produce those random numbers by having a random stream of binary digits. So it would be zero point and then one, zero, zero, one, zero, one, just random binary digits. Random binary digits can be created through like, you know, modular arithmetic and, and certain things very say, easily. We, we, we need to have a, a discussion about, uh, how to generate truly random numbers at some yeah. point, but well, you, let's assume for the moment that can it can be done. Can't. Yeah, yeah, but there there are very good ways of doing that that are like um, that are like very uh, um, uh, like like very little could go wrong, um, as opposed to maybe some other random generation. That's why like random bit is often like the the um, is often the starting point. It's very easy to turn a random bit into a random uniform number and then you could turn random uniform numbers into other things which again now the fact that uniform can be trans um, um transformed into other distributions now it's a feature not a bug because you could start with the uniform you could generate it you could you could transform it into anything else um so um it it, it it's easy oftentimes to find the um 
to find the mean, uh, particularly if it's on like a line segment or if it's on some shape that's clearly symmetrical. Maybe it's not always. Maybe it could be on a shape that's not symmetrical, but usually you're talking about a line segment, so it's easy to have, have a mean and maybe not a standard deviation, but you definitely have some metric. I mean, you could calculate the standard deviation, of course, but like, you know, you, you have some metric of size that is, that is, uh, that is understandable. Um, and, uh, I, I don't really think I've directly used the uniform distribution to model something, but I, I use, I generate random numbers with it all the time. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like that would be an interesting model where you'd be like, okay, I, I want something uniform in this segment. And so outside the segment, it's going to be zero. Inside the segment, it's going to be um, uniform. Uh, that's sort of a weird model to actually model some data because you, cause, cause it, it, breaks the, um, it breaks the rule of, uh, um, of, uh, of, of Bayesian difference, where it, it, if you're uniform on a certain set, it, 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 it's assigning zero probability to everything outside the mm. set, which is... Uh, which is, um, you know, dogmatically against it, which you shouldn't do. But very useful, very useful tool to think about to have in your mental model of uh, of of continuous distributions um, as a building block. So, and and by the way, a lot of um, other types of distributions kind of collapse into the uniform distribution in some kind of like end state, in some kind of like extreme state. So. That's, a, that's another thing to think about. All right, so that's all I have to say about that one. That's a pretty simple one. Let us know what you think about the uniform distribution and everything else that we talked about on the show today. Yeah, I, I uh, want feedback on uh, where, where you think we're right, where you think we're wrong on our predictions, what are we crazy about, and uh, may, maybe if, uh, if they don't already exist, we can uh, try and generate some uh, metaculous questions uh, tied to, to the things we've talked about and, and throw those up there as well. Exactly, exactly. All right, we went a little long today. Hopefully, we probably should have brought, brought, broke it into two episodes, and maybe I'll give you a short one next uh, week. All right, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.